Welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk About X podcast. In our small but cozy studio in the basement of the X building, we invite other students and experts to join us to discuss topics that are interesting for you, the students of the TU Delft. My name is Pekbein. And my name is Andrea. And before you start listening to this episode, put away your phone, close your laptop and sit back and just listen only to this podcast. Or was this already the case for you? Uh, or are you in need of all types of other impulses and stimuli to keep you calm? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, dopamine and addiction. What, I- what is dopamine? What kind of molecule is it? And why can it make you so so happy and satisfied? But also maybe you have the feeling that you're not in control of yourself and you're addicted to all kinds of small little habits like scrolling through your phone. Um, we're going to find out with uh, two specialized uh, professors we invited today. First of all, we have uh, associate professor at the Amsterdam Medical Center, Rut van Holst, specialized in pathological gambling, alcohol dependence, functional MRI and neuropsychology. And secondly, assistant professor Tim van Timmeren at the University of Utrecht and specialized in cognitive u- neuroscience, behavior change and uh, addictions and more. Thank you, professors, for, uh, for coming. Thank you for Pleasure us, yeah. to be here. First time at the TU Delft for both, I, uh, I understood. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Can I uh, ask you a, a personal question? What is the average screen time of both of you? Yeah, so it's always just below two hours. Oh. Um, so, um, and that includes email from work, uh, podcast listening, everything. So that, that's uh, Emails it. from work, I think that already doesn't really count. <laughs> so it's even less. For me, I think it's around three hours. Okay. Uh, yeah, and indeed that includes like all types of stuff. Uh, I don't have social media actually, but um, yeah, so it's other other stuff, work uh, related, but mm-hmm. uh, WhatsApp, um, listening to music, podcasts, etc. Yeah. Standard uh, communications. Yeah, yeah. And Andrea, on my phone, I think it's one hour and a bit, but. Yeah, my laptop, I study, especially during exams, when yeah. I study from morning till evening, that's 12 hours. 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think for me it's a bit more. I I sometimes feel a bit addicted to YouTube. Not so not so good, but hey, trying to uh, get a remedy here today. So, so um, but what, oh what's yeah. your number? Was my number? Yeah, I uh, for today, not so high yet. For yesterday, I found out it was uh, five hours. That's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, not so uh, not so proud of it. Um, before we get into it a little bit more on uh, on you guys, because you are both very well um, specialized in this certain kind of topic, uh, addictions, gambling, more the scope for for Rut and for you, Tim. It's more focused on on social media. I understood. Um, can you what one of you underline maybe quickly what the uh, main differences in the type of research you really do from what what perspective? Um. Yeah, so um, I think my topic is more based from a clinical perspective. I also work at the Department of Psychiatry, so I also see people who are are usually in treatment for Mm -hmm. their addiction. Um, And I use um, cognitive tasks and neuroimaging to try to understand which processes are involved Mm -hmm. and uh, how this contributes to the behavior. And potentially we hope to... Um, get a better handle on, on, on treating these people. Um, yeah, so Tim. Yeah, so so my expertise is kind of similar, like or, or at least my background, but mm-hmm. I've, I've moved to study a bit more applied um, 
uh, yeah, in applied way, as study habits especially. So habits. I'm, I'm really interested in uh, habits, the role they play in addictions as mm -hmm. well, the neural mechanisms. Um, so I've done some fundamental work on, on habits, uh, but now actually I want to study them in a more applied setting, so in daily lives. And therefore I'm, I'm focusing on, for example, social media or yeah. uh, smartphone use. Yeah. So social media is then sort of the... Uh, the the scope of your research, so to speak. Like yeah, yeah. How social media influences certain type of addictions, habits. Yeah, well, especially in the context of habits. So, mm -hmm. uh, like, in the end, I'm really interested in what are habits, how do they form, and how can we break them? Yeah. Um, I, I used to study them in a, you know, a lab setting, so very experimental with mm -hmm. the task and stuff. But habits just take a long time to form, so then maybe lab setting is not the best yeah. uh, place yeah. to, to study them. And therefore, I thought, okay, I need to move outside of the lab. And a smartphone is just the best tool there is because you can measure, you can uh, do an intervention, you can do everything basically with this, with this. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so it's a great tool to study this type yeah. of behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, clear. Thanks, thanks. Okay. Um, well, you, you were talking about the, the neuromechanical uh, mechanism underlying habits and, and, and addictions, maybe even. Could one of you give me a short explanation of what uh, dopamine is and how this is sort of intertwined in the mechanism of, of addiction? Sure. Um, yeah, so dopamine is a neurochemical. Um, it uh, helps communicate um, in the brain for all kinds of functions, um, including movement, uh, but also motivation, reward, learning. Um, and I think dopamine is well most well known for learning things. And if we think about um, drug addiction, I think everyone is well known that just the pharmacological effect does produce a very strong dopamine uh, signal if you if you take it. Yeah. Um, but in, the, in the brain? In the brain, okay. yeah. So this also hap happens in the brain. So mm -hmm. dopamine actually uh, helps you learn um, to um, learn what predicts nice outcomes. Um, so, for example, um, if it's for normal learning as well, right? So if there's a new uh, restaurant, for example, and you've never been there, you're quite hungry, uh, you go in and you have this wonderful sandwich, this uh, produces a very big dopamine signal. This is nice, this is worth remembering, right? It has a val high value. And it makes you associate this new restaurant with a good, you know, I should remember this. So the next time when you're hungry and you see the restaurant, you're, you think, hey, I should go in there. But eventually, I mean, you, you learn that this sandwich is always good there. Yeah. So it's not that, yeah, uh, new anymore, but you just know, ah, oh, this mm -hmm. is a nice restaurant. Um, for drugs, it works a bit differently because if you take it, it's still a very salient, like a very strong dopamine uh, response. Every time you every take time it. You take okay. it. So the, the, um, the context of, of using it still receives a very high value. Mm -hmm. And that means that eventually with drug use, where you have this very strong pharmacological effect, mm -hmm. um, that everything related to the, to the drugs gets very high value. And yeah. that's, we know that I think from... Uh, like the typical idea of a drug ad addict, that they are just only focused on getting the drug. Yeah. This is what we know from standard drug addiction, that it somehow hijacks the brain reward system and it just makes people really focused on this. 
Um, so just, you know, seeing something that's a context where they usually use, they get this craving and they need to, to use. But, but are you then addicted to the, the drug or to the dopamine response? Yeah, so it's dopamine is one big component mm -hmm. of this, but um, there are other neurochemicals as well, okay. right? And uh, I mean, you can also say there are a lot of psychological factors there that yeah. not directly translate into one-on-one -on -one, uh, neurotransmitter. Okay, okay. But dopamine is a very strong learning signal and motiva motivational signal, like saying this is important. And I think what Tim and I also find fascinating is like how we know this from drugs, right? Which, which we have this pharmacological effect, yeah, yeah. but how to bring it back to this topic, how would it this then work for normal behavior? And why yeah. can something that is quite normal still become such an addiction in yeah. a way? Is that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Because what what is an addiction? So, I mean, you, you can define it in various ways, but uh -huh. let's start with uh, the, the definition uh, used in psychiatry. Um, so we have the DSM, for example, the Diagnostic uh, Manual uh, from the states that's used uh, yeah, across the whole world. And um, uh, there, yeah, yeah you just uh, have a, a few symptoms. So um, for me, uh, the most important one is that you need to suffer in some way. So there need to be negative consequences of the behavior and still you continue. But craving is another one. Um, Tolerance, tolerance, uh, ability to stop. Um, uh. Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there are I think seven symptoms, uh, and so I think you uh, become diagnosed with addiction if you tick three of them. Yeah. And then you you have different uh, types, so it can be mild or or heavy or etc. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that is the clinical uh, definition, if you will, of addiction. And uh, yeah, and that is used also for um, uh, insurance money, and and th that yeah. we know how to actually go treat people, um, trying to get them together and think, okay, if you have this disorder, then we should treat it this way or this way. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that 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 could can be helpful, um, but then a lot of things can actually fit in there. So a loss of control, maybe doing more than you would want, um, you can easily go towards that with a lot of behaviors. And I think mm -hmm. also with social media or gaming, there's a lot of discussion. Is that an addiction actually? And that is actually something that the field is still working on, whether we should consider this as addiction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe important to mention is that until actually quite recently, I think uh, less than 10 years ago, only substances were considered to be uh, able to be addictive. Yeah, because that's, that's what's really separating uh like like it's either a physical substance or yeah. a habit that is addictive yeah so so i mean it was very clear the mm -hmm. world was very clear until 10 years ago at least from the perspective of the dsm mm -hmm. uh it's just drugs basically that can be addictive and yeah. behaviors cannot and okay. then suddenly okay. 10 years ago they they made a pretty big change and said okay uh, now we consider gambling as the first and currently only behavior that uh, we consider to be uh, addictive. But it's still the only one. And it's still in the DSM officially the only one. Mm -hmm. I think gaming uh, and, and uh, sex are uh, in there to be considered, but there was not enough evidence back there. Okay. Um, yeah. Because what type of evidence should there be then? 
So yeah, that, well, the evidence that that this decision was based on uh -huh. was um, uh, yeah multiple things, but one uh, neural mechanisms. So an overlap between gambling. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the brain of a gambler and compare it to the brain of a uh, yeah person with uh, heroin addiction or alcohol addiction, and you show them, for example, images of uh, the thing they're addicted to, then do these brain patterns look similar? Yeah. So that's something that Rudd also has studied, for example, yeah. and, and based on uh, these types of studies, uh, that is one part of the evidence. But another part is, for example, simil similarities in treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, so do the, do the same type of treatments work for, for these uh, uh, types of uh, yeah, problematic behaviors? Genetics. Genetics. Uh, uh, risk, yeah. yeah, personality factors. Uh, yeah, so a, a broad range of things that make it look like it's a similar yeah, mechanism that's underlying. Yeah. Okay, okay. So when that is sort of supplied enough, then we can say, okay, well this is officially now becomes an addiction as well. Yeah, it, it, this this question was actually part of my uh, PhD uh, project, um, so where I compared people with an alcohol use disorder mm -hmm. with people with a gambling disorder, and then looked with functional MRI, like two similar brain processes, and yeah. there we actually found indeed some similarities, but also not surprisingly, also some differences, yeah. uh, because you don't have the pharmacological effect of gambling on the brain. So. I think it makes sense to see uh, gambling as a gambling addiction, mm -hmm. um, but because there are also clearly, right, also between heroin uh, addiction and alcohol addiction, there are also differences. Of course. Yeah. Um, so where do you put the line of, you know, uh, and I think that is still an ongoing uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wh when when do we consider uh, scrolling through the news feed every minute as an addiction and yeah. social yeah. media use yeah. and TikTok yeah. and everything yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so I mean I think in the end like the world is not uh, like black and white, right? There, no. there are gray areas, and and it's already the case with someone who has problems with using alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can say, well, it's problematic behavior, but is it an addiction? Yeah, that's not a yes or no question, you know. No, and it's it very, and very it's broad, also maybe not even that interesting to consider it as a yes no question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what me what intrigues me is like, okay, how does a behavior come so sticky in a way, so uncontrolled or unwanted in a certain point that that people actually tell you that they are suffering from the behavior but yeah. are not able to stop? How does that? come about and how can we help that and I think what also intrigues me is that we do see that there are certain uh, features in games mm -hmm. um, in gam gambling games as well that actually really strongly um, hook on to our reward and motivational system yeah. Yeah. Um, that that really pulls us in the game and tries to keep us as there as for as long as possible and I think it's very intriguing to to see how that works and also, um, yeah, how how we could use this also in our um, for our benefit in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so that that is, I think, and the fact that that a lot of these games are also using same principles, they are merging features as well, like game games 
uh, are now also including some of the gambling features like loot boxes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also the availability with online gambling also uh, opens up a whole new um, availability and accessibility that they learn from social media how to um, make that as, as uh, easy as yeah. possible. So I think that that in itself is also very interesting to, just to look at how these new behaviors, how they work and um, how they affect us. And um, yeah, I think I think it's very interesting because uh, also, for instance, uh, I think YouTube did it as well with uh, the shorts they have. It's I think very similar to TikTok. I don't have TikTok, um, but like YouTube shor- shorts works. I think exactly the same. Like it's so easy, and you get so much nonsensical information and it doesn't matter and then like after half an hour i'm like what am i doing why why do i do this like it's so not worth my time yeah but it just yeah but they i think they took very much of uh, or or a lot of the elements from from a tiktok for example to do the same thing i think that that works uh very well um i want to go a little bit in why why this is important in in general uh i think we can already say it a bit as you said like people at a certain po- uh, moment have an addiction. They, they feel like they cannot get out of it and it probably influences other parts of their life. In uh, the Netherlands, um, 34% of people says that they're addicted to uh, their phone and from the age category 18 till uh, 24, even 62% says that they're addicted to uh, the use of their phone. So these are very high numbers, I would say. Uh, and um, for um, people in this last age category, also 35% sleeps with their uh, smartphone. Is this a problem? Is this bad? And why? Yeah, so, so I mean, I think first uh, we already discussed, like, what is addiction? So with these types of questions, you always have to think, what what does it mean if people say they feel addicted, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think what they what most of these people uh, want to indicate is that they feel a kind of loss of control to yeah. some extent. So they spend more time on their phone, on social media, than they actually want, right? Yeah. And and then they say, uh, I feel addicted. Mm-hmm. So that's very different, of course, from the clinical perspective. Uh, but it's an important um, yeah, sort of pointer to to the fact that yeah, this could be problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think if you... So there is a big discussion in the field as to whether social media uh, is is um, causing all types of harms, or de- depression or, you know, loss of mental well-being, that sort of stuff. Um, there is a big discussion. Is it the case that if you spend more time uh, on... Uh, social media that also your mental well-being uh, goes down yeah right so and uh, that's not clear at this point mm-hmm. I would say so the evidence is sort of uh, contradictory yeah uh, but what we do see is that people spend more and more time on their phone yeah. I mean there's yeah. no way around that and uh, yeah and and how could we prevent this can, can you heal this? Can you go into, uh, I read something uh, once <coughs> about something like uh, monk mode, where you would sort of, g- yeah, sort of uh, um, uh, extract yourself almost from the world and put away your phone, put it on black and white, d- delete all social media. You don't have social media, you said. like Something like that. Does that work? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, that's a, qu- a quite drastic measure, but it, it works to uh, put limits on it on mm-hmm. and making it less attractive. So putting it on black and white uh, decreases the, the, the nice colors, and which are vibrant and, and interesting yeah. in a way. So that helps. Um, I think uh, social media, for example, there's a lot of just... Um, if you skip that, you can still use your phone. It can be very useful. You can still phone your friends, chat yeah. with your friends, yeah. whatever. So I think that that is a is a good way. And I think also people are getting more um, um, knowledgeable about this. Mm-hmm. And I think also our social norms will probably also change a little bit. First of all, it's very new, and everyone's yeah. just quite happy to use it. And I think now you also see with friends, it's just bit more annoyed if, if somebody actually takes their phone in a conversation. It's yeah. more not done, I think, than, yeah. than before. So I think that is also something that we as a society are are moving towards setting other norms and also the discussion for um, having um, children in school not taking their phones to the school. Mm-hmm. I think these kind of rules um, will help to actually have a bit of room to actually think how you want to use your, your social media. Um, yeah. Do you also think that the on the because these are these are pretty much sort of societal changes? Mm-hmm. Do you also think that there should be technical changes like uh, maybe phone companies or app app pro- uh, developers maybe should make it yeah. less? Well, it's already the case. I think yeah. that like apps like Instagram and Facebook um, in the past they just wanted to increase screen time as mm-hmm. much as possible and yeah. now they actually warn people if they spend for example more than an x amount of time on their on uh, instagram they say hey listen is this really what you want to do and uh, well then you can choose to continue but a warning like this is very effective so uh, to make people aware of the fact yeah. that they are I- is it effective it is effective because yeah, yeah because you can just deny it right you can deny it but Creating that little awareness mm-hmm. is very effective. So recently there was a study that uh, used an app. It's called OneSec. Yeah. So one second, but then one sec. Um, and and it's it's a very easy to install app. And what it does, it creates kind of barriers for you to use. So mm-hmm. you install mm-hmm. it, and then it says, okay, uh, for I can select a number of apps, and uh, if I go on Instagram, then it will say you can either select like a 10 second break between yeah. usage or it just asks you the question like do you really want to go on it and this <laughs> question is very actually ver- very effective uh, yeah. Aware or yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah yeah in in reducing uh, time on on the app uh-huh. yeah and and to me that's a very strong indicator that this type of behavior is very habitual because yeah. people automatically do it without thinking about it if they are given the chance to to think about it, then yes, yeah, then actually they decline and, and say, say, well, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't this do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, and I think that th- that is very helpful, and I think that from the the people who really are getting into treatment, mm-hmm. these kind of barriers are usually not enough anymore to 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 quit it's not that easy so i think that that is also a bit of a sliding scale in that you can have habits um but if you then get a warning like do you really want to do it you can still change your behavior um but there are people who who are really far more stuck um these things can still help but it it is more problematic and i think it's also 
uh, that also a bit of a difference between when is something really, you know, having t needs more time and energy to to treat this than than solving just like one yeah. second. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think uh, that's also a bit of a difference between a, a habit and an, ad an addiction, right? So an app like this wouldn't work for an addiction. Yeah. But for the numbers you just mentioned, yeah. like more than sixty percent of people who say they are addicted. An app like this is going to be effective because yeah. actually they're not addicted, but it's yeah just a strong habit. habit yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. To uh, wrap up a bit, um, I uh, want one final uh, piece of advice from your professors. What what should I do as a as a YouTube addict? <laughs> so so to speak, Ruth, what what would your advice be? So I think the app uh, the one sec would be <laughs> a good thing, and I do also want to give the message that I think that for this large percentage of people now indicate that they have a problem with, with their use. I think a lot of them can still move out of it quite mm -hmm. easily with installing such an app and just you know think, is this really something I want to change? But I'm, I am quite worried with having people doing this for years. I do think that you are strengthening inhabited if you go on uh, using this kind of excessive hours of use, yes. for example. And um, so... Um, yeah, do think about what you really want to get out of your time. Mm -hmm. um, and an app like this, is this really what you want? I think it's a good start. Okay, and Tim? Yeah, so uh, yeah, of course, uh, I, I agree with that. And uh, so I did a study myself uh, on uh, like more than 100 people and asked them to mm -hmm. quit social media for a week. So like a digital detox. So really uh, yeah. the app? remove the app. So mm -hmm. in your case, remove YouTube. That was one of the apps actually that was also in my in my study as mm -hmm. an option to to detox from, and that was very effective in reducing uh, screen time. So people on average uh, reduced their screen time by over thirty percent the week after, and even three months later it was still like twenty five percent lower. So it oh was well extremely effective when they already reinstalled the app. They they were allowed to. I mean, yeah. some people didn't because mm -hmm. a week of detoxing really made them aware of. Uh, yeah, sort of the pointlessness <laughs> of their behavior. Yeah, exactly. And they thought like, wow, this is actually great the way I'm spending my time right now mm. and I want to continue. But so this reduction wasn't just driven by those people who did not re uh, reinstall the app. Uh, it was really uh, yeah, a very significant decrease. But I must say there was this was in people who uh, wanted to reduce their usage. So motivation to reduce is an important should uh, come out of yourself for, yeah, uh, yeah. for the start yeah but then right. the detox can really help i think okay yeah. okay so detoxing is uh, is a good option well uh professors thank you so much for uh, for being here uh and i think uh we can talk about this for uh, for an hour this this can become an addiction as well i think <laughs> talking um and uh yeah safe travels home yeah. thank you for having us yeah thanks for the nice discussion and for everyone at home, thank you for listening again. Uh, please don't stay uh, addicted to uh, to uh, listening podcasts, um, but uh, really do it when you when you want to use your time for y for listening to podcasts. Um, in two weeks' time, there will be another episode, so uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, and as always, we're a community-driven podcast, so please let us know if you uh, have a good idea for another topic uh, that we can talk about, or maybe there's a, a guest you really want to uh, to hear on the podcast, or maybe you're an expert yourself. Um, please let us know via the Instagram of X, um, and uh, yeah, see you next time.